Want a great way to recognize your employees? Check out Custom Inc. Have you ever thought about doing something special for your customers? Custom Inc. can do that too. And wouldn't your team love some custom gear? Custom Inc. is ready. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Plus, everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at custominc.com. Put industry leading difference-making, and tomorrow shaping on your to-do list. Explore Deloitte technology careers at deloitte.com slash tech careers and engineer your future at Deloitte. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello, everybody in uh, Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of Dove Valley Deep Divers Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as per usual, is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle Senior NFL Draft Analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Dude, some big news broke today. Obviously, we've got uh, the the training camp schedule for the Denver Broncos has just been released. We're going to dive into that here in just a couple minutes. Super excited about that. I'm trying to make a trip down to Denver to maybe go and cover that, you know, go hang out with Luke, uh, a, a couple of different guys in Denver media and and have just have a good time, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm exhausted. I mean, I've been, you know, working on losing weight, dieting and exercising. Good for you. Um, last few days had my in-laws down tuesday wednesday and so they're very active outdoorsy people so we went out and did some stuff with that and then i've been helping my parents clean out the garage the last couple days which as soon as i get done with this i'm gonna eat and go over and help do that (laughs) so i'm exhausted doing a lot of physical work and but i but the thing is i feel good like i may be exhausted i may be sore but i feel good i feel a lot better than i have when you know i just sat around doing not doing much um, so it's great. I'm excited to be here. You know, as I always am excited for the Broncos, it's great to see the training schedule because, you know, I mean, those that can get to it, I mean, it's always, it's always good times to be able to go and watch those practices. And, uh, it's going to be what's, what's really good for about it for me is all the storylines that come from it, all the work, getting an insight into all these different camp battles that are going on. And so just, and getting some answers, getting some answers about the roster as well. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. So earlier today, I don't know if you guys are following uh, Ryan Edwards or the 850K Away Colorado um, Twitter feed. I, I did an interview with Ryan earlier today talking about Greg Dulcich, the article I dropped earlier. He actually dropped an, a very interesting nugget about what he's been seeing out there at uh, Broncos Mandatory Minicap and OTAs over the last couple of days regarding Andrew Beck. I really want to pick your brain about that here in just a couple of minutes. But today, guys, I mean, obviously, we're going to break down the training camp schedule and stuff like that. Uh, we're also going to dive that do our Dove Valley deep diver deep dive into the defensive side of this roster uh focus on some players uh, some young rookie players maybe some young up and coming guys that potentially have the opportunity to steal a job from a veteran force a guy off of this roster and potentially build themselves in for another bigger role but with that guys let's get started in here on this um obviously first things first 
matters of business guys you're watching the dove valley deep divers podcast you guys can find us on twitter by following me at sanderson mhh for eric at eric trickle also shout out to scott kennedy behind the schemes at scout kennedy uh running the ones and twos for us we appreciate him for joining us tonight uh guys at dvdd underscore pod we got that finally back up and running again so you guys can find out what we're doing every single friday to for the dove valley deep divers podcast and also guys at mile high huddle where you'll find breaking news and analysis regarding your denver broncos uh Film breakdowns like the Greg Dulcich piece I posted on Monday. I've got Montreal, Washington coming after this weekend. So that's going to be a really fun one. Cannot wait to break that down. Um, opinion articles, uh, anything regarding your Denver Broncos, you're going to find that at Mile High Huddle. Now, Eric, obviously the big news of the day, and which is what we always try to start off with as much as we can here on the Huddle Up podcast, is uh, the Denver Broncos announced their practice dates for 2022 training camp, and they start on Wednesday, July 27th at UC Health Training Center. They run all the way through, um, let's see, I, I believe it's the, the August 11th is when they're going to they're gonna join with the Dallas Cowboys prior to their preseason game on August 13th. They're going to do some joint practices with the Cowboys and stuff like that. Uh, four consecutive practice days to start training camp. Uh, they'll hold practice on six consecutive days from August 1st to August 6th. Uh, another day off on Sundays, so the Broncos are not practicing on Sundays throughout training camp. But then they'll practice another four days in a row from August eighth to uh, the eleventh, and then they'll join with the uh, with the Dallas Cowboys prior to their preseason game. And I'm super excited about this. It, it's it, like obviously fans are back in attendance. You can go sit up on the hill, um, get sunburnt because that's what everybody seems to do. Check out uh, what this new Broncos offense looks like. Get a first look at Russell Wilson, um, how these wide receivers are starting to come around. The new defense that we have um, with Brad. Chubb, Randy Gregory coming back from his arthroscopic shoulder surgery. I'm super excited about this. I really want to try to get down, man. What do you think about it? I mean, I think the best thing about it is that there's no quarterback battle. There's no more yes. of those. And I'm I'm totally guilty of this because I jumped into it last year. No more of those daily report cards of which quarterback won the day when it's really meaningless because training camp practices, yeah, they're help, but preseason games and what's going on behind the scenes, things that fans and analysts and media guys don't see. What's going on in the film room? Like that plays such an important role in it. So no more of those useless report cards. It's Russell Wilson that helps take off a lot of the stress and issues that come with training camp. Um, but it's just nice to see. I mean, you get to look at all these other guys that uh, all these other battles that are going on. So who's getting those first team reps early with the at right tackle? How often are they splitting those? How's the rotation looking at running back? How's the rotation looking at receiver? tight end who's who's getting the most reps is tight end number one is it oak way as everybody's projected or is it the long shot for lack of a better way to put it the rookie dulcich and i say long shot because rookie tight ends making an impact right away doesn't happen very often um so it's just i mean you get eyes on everything else and it's just super exciting and first time in a while i'm actually excited for a training camp honestly I, like I'm not necessarily quite that excited about training camp because you don't have the quarterback storyline. Like, and, and Dale jumping in here. Let's say hello to Dale really fast. Uh, yes, very happy. No quarterback battle. Uh, I I kind of disagree with that. It, like, obviously, it's great to have the the Russell Wilson impact, and you you know that like that's the guy. I'm super excited about that. Don't get me wrong, but there's it's easy talking when you're talking about the quarterback battle, who's doing this and stuff like that. So I'm going to go off on the uh, the opposite side of that. However, at the same time, I'm still super excited to be able to not focus on that quarterback battle. Um, the one thing I want to 
talk to you about. Like I said, I, I got the opportunity to talk with uh, with Ryan Edwards on Broncos Country tonight earlier today, uh, talking about the film breakdown I did of Greg Dulcich and, and everything like that. And I don't think it's necessarily such a long shot of with uh, Dulcich potentially being the starter. I like it, at the end of my breakdown, I was like, you know. With, with the talent that he has, the ability that he has to stretch the field vertically and also horizontally, his his massive catch radius. And I, I think that he's, quite honestly, a little bit better of a blocker as of right now, even though there's some deficiencies there, than Albert Okwebenom. So to me, I think Greg Dulcich could potentially be that, that if not the starting tight end week one, play a, a substantial role within this offense because he really is just a perfect fit for what they want to do, at least from based on the, the reports we're getting out of OTAs. Well, I mean, the first few before he got hurt. Right, yeah. And and that's, yeah. that's... And he got hurt and then he was pulled. And I mean, I'm not saying that he's not going to have a, a sizable role. I fully expected when I did my profile on it, one of the things I said is if he doesn't end up the starter, I still expect him to have a pretty sizable role. I don't expect him to be the top dog, though. That's where I consider him the long shot. And it is simply a fact that he is a rookie at a position that you typically don't really see hit their stride until. Mo- basically at the end of year two beginning of year three right i think he can have a little bit of a quicker transition to it and here we have alboro quavenom who's hit he's hitting year three we kind of saw him start to take those steps towards the end of last year and i mean for me greg dulcich and alboro quavenom are equally bad as blockers like the only difference is dulcich shows more effort yeah but he's behind technique wise as okwebenom is so for me it's just the wash there um, receiving ability, I mean, Okwe, but um, he's just as much of a mismatch. He can stretch the field just as much. He's got the experience. Granted, it's a new offense. So, I mean, in a way, they're on even ground. But long shot wasn't the best way. It was just simply that the aspect of he's a t- rookie at a position that takes some extra time. Uh, no, I, and I, then don't, with, I don't. Go ahead. Sorry. And then with the quarterback battles, I just want to say, Scott kind of put it perfectly. Quarterback battles are fun when you have a winner and not just the best loser. And that's what it's been for the last few years with the Broncos is the best loser wins the job. Whoop-de-doo. Exactly. Well, it's been that way since the Broncos drafted Paxton Lynch and they had to try out Trevor Simeon in there and, and Simeon ended up winning the competition over Mark Sanchez and Paxton Lynch like that. The, the, the best loser just so happened to be a guy that started 17 games for the Denver Broncos and or, or 16 games and even more than that going into the next season. So it's it, it is rough when you have a quarterback competition, but at the same time, they're always fun to talk about. At least you can kind of have that it's easy fodder for for sports talk radio guys like us or sports talk media to to go in and and target that i want to jump back into that really quickly before we grab this comment from travis weber who always comes in with stars and stuff like that but uh I want to jump back into the into the usage of the offense and it's particularly greg dulcich because the the way that i kind of saw it was with the Broncos reportedly going into a lot more 12 personnel and stuff like that, they have Eric Tomlinson, who I know is a guy that you really like as a blocker, a, a guy that you kind of found um, with the former Ravens connection and stuff like that that you have over that way. Um, and, and also just his ability on the field. But you have a, a, an elite level blocker, a guy that's going to come in and essentially be that extra offensive tackle. And you got two guys that have the ability to just run all over the field, just kind of rough shot. They, neither one of them are like super like snappy as far as route running is concerned. Like they, they do a really good job settling down into zones, but their vertical straight line speed is really kind of the, uh, the best aspect of both of their games. If the Broncos are running 12 personnel, especially here in training camp, I would like to see how this kind of works out. How do you, how do you envision utilizing those guys in 12 personnel? Is, is Tomlinson going to see a, the field uh, like the majority of the time, or do you think it's going to be mostly uh Dulcich and Okuebenam? Well, I think it depends on down distance and situation. 
Yeah. Um, Eric Thomason, I mean, listing him as a tight end, I mean, yeah, he's a tight end, but he's he's your hybrid. He's your fullback when you use a fullback. He's that. He's what Andrew Beck has been the last two years. Mm-hmm. He's an upgrade over Andrew Beck and what Andrew Beck has brought over the last two years. And significantly, not just on offense, on special teams as well, and for not much more. Um, so, I mean, when you're looking at 12 personnel in most situations or in passing situations, then you're going to see a combination of, I think, Eric Sobert. I think he makes the roster, Albert Okoibanom and Greg Dulcich. Mostly Okoibanom and Dulcich will be your main two. Um, and then you can, from there, you can get a little bit creative with how you have your looks. Um, and in, in running situations, that's a time where I think that you could see Eric Sobert and Eric Tomlinson line up as your more traditional inline tight ends in obvious running downs or running situations. So, I mean, the good thing with the tight end room, with adding Greg Dulcich, with re-signing Eric Sobert, they have a good group of well-rounded skill sets that they can um, mix in and out. Obviously, you're not going to trust Albert Okwebenam or Greg Dulcich right away to be that lead blocker, but they both can be there and be the blocker on the cut side. So they have their options open for them with the room, with the projected tight end room that I have. And that's a, that's a good point. And I, I you know, I, I kind of forget that Eric Saubert is still on this roster. I, I mean, obviously a late signing coming back in. We all know Andrew Beck is that guy that's kind of been that that H back, that that fullback kind of inline tight end when they needed to be. And he's also been a, a quality special teams player for this oh, yes. Broncos roster, at least in my opinion. Um, I mean, most of the, I mean, you can go back and you can look and watch a lot of the big returns. Andrew Beck's to blame. I made okay. this point often last year. Um, I remember one of them, one of the big ones that they allowed back. He is, I mean, he's playing contained on in the gap that he just cuts it completely inside and leaves his thing right open. And that's right where the runner takes. Like, and there was no reason for it. And there was a game afterwards where um, Tom McMahon actually called him out for it too, uh, which was kind of funny because, you know, Tom McMahon sucked. But like when he's calling out a player for a bad play, like that speaks loudly. That's that's a that's a fair point. I'll I'll, I'll digress <laughs> to you on that one. But uh, regardless, Andrew Beck's one of those like the the bottom level of the roster guys that you're gonna you're gonna potentially see um like that could potentially hang on for this roster. I was talking with Ryan Edwards about that. We'll get into that here in a little bit, guys. Go check out that that interview. It's on my Twitter account. Um, it, it was it was a lot of fun to be able to talk with him. Chris Hernandez jumping in here. Chris, it's been a while since I've seen your name in this uh in in this chat. It's really good to see you back here on Dove Valley Deep Diver, showing some love. Uh, nothing to say, but we appreciate you, Chris. I want to jump into this really quick. We got a couple of questions before we get into the rest of the Broncos roster. Um, uh, K-Hop jumping in here asking, is Alex Singleton a signing that we are going to regret? This linebacker from Philadelphia who was the leading tackler for the Philadelphia Eagles, I believe, for the last two seasons. Uh, a quality special teams player, speaking of that. Uh, so K-Hop says, we haven't heard about much about him. Are, is there any info? Eric, what, do you, what have you heard about Alex Singleton and his role on this Broncos team? Well, I know that when he was signed, everybody was saying, oh, he's your linebacker help. And from what I understand, he was brought in mostly to help on special teams, to help upgrade that unit that was so bad. And I mean, going to regret it. He signed for what one point, not even one point two million. It was just below it, like one point one something. Yeah, like, you're not going to regret that. That's just a drop in the bucket against the salary cap. Like it's fine, and he's there to help out the special teams unit. I mean, when you're looking at linebacker Josie, Josie Jewell, Jonas uh, Jonas Griffith, those are your, or yeah, Jonas Griffith, those are your guys that you're looking at for there. So I don't I don't think that you're we're going to regret it. And for special teams, you don't hear much about them until you know preseason games. 
I don't disagree with you on that one. I do want to kind of give a shout out to Alex Singleton and his ability to turn and run though. Like he, he can actually play in some covers. They didn't use him very much like that in Philadelphia, but he still does have that ability. So uh, like maybe keep an eye on that situation. Obviously with Baron Browning, that's another, the, another aspect of the the inside linebacker combination because they like you're, you're, you're going to see him play that more weak side linebacker, the will linebacker maybe coming off the edge and stuff like that. So Alex Singleton may actually have a role on this defense. If you're, you're talking about uh, like another, Another guy that can turn and run, have some athleticism, maybe go a little bit more sideline to sideline than Josie Jewell, who is more of a run fit kind of run funnel guy. Uh, he puts himself in really good positions. Josie Jewell does just based on his 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 football IQ. But Alex Singleton is just a, a, a better athlete, in my opinion. And I think that we're going to see a little bit more of him on potentially some passing downs where you need that nickel linebacker that can come in and play. But his biggest role is going to be on special teams. Eric, I do agree with you on that one. Um, another quick question here. We have uh, Travis jumping in here. want to say hello to Travis Weber, who does a great job supporting every one of the shows here on Mile High Huddle. He's a great friend of mine on, on Facebook as well. Uh, good evening, Lance, Eric, and Broncos country. Uh, happy Friday. What's up with Quinn Miners? He's been awfully quiet this offseason. Eric, have you heard anything on second-year player Quinn Miners? He's an offensive lineman during OTAs where there's such limited contact. You, you don't hear much about from offensive linemen here because there's just they're so limited in what they can do. OTAs, mini camps, that's a situation where, you know, those shifty, speedy guys, they get a chance to shine because you can't be as physical as you want to be. Um and Quinn Miners, I mean, he can't be as physical as he want to be. So of course it's gonna be a little bit quiet. It's it's why during OTAs and mini camp you always take anything that involves physicality, defensive line, offensive line, you always take it with a grain of salt with front when they're getting a lot of praise. And if they're being quiet, I mean, we'll wait and see. If he's still quiet through training camp, through a couple padded practices, then maybe something's up there. Maybe he's just doing his job and just doing it well. I mean, not being noteworthy in a good negative or positive way, just doing his job. That could be the case as well. You're muted. Sorry about that. Uh, Phil McLaughlin jumping in here. Nothing to say, just showing some love. Uh, and thank you, Phil, for joining us again. Like This is like four or five weeks in a row now, Phil. So I'm really glad that you keep coming back to us and, and enjoying some time here on a Friday with uh, with Eric Trickle and myself. Um, how do I want to transition off of this? It, it, it's, it's Andrew so Beck. Andrew Beck. Okay. I want to come let's, back let's... to Andrew Beck because you, you had a little nugget. Okay, so talking with Ryan Edwards earlier today, um, he actually made a point to mention out that he had been, because uh, we were talking about Greg Dulcich and, and Albert Okuwebenom and the running back battle and stuff like that. Um, and he actually had said that after today's practice, he was out there watching um, – or when it wasn't today's practice, sorry about that, a couple of days ago. He was watching Russell Wilson and Andrew Beck working on route running in the red zone, specifically in goal line situation, goal line packages and stuff like that, working on angle routes, arrow routes, just jumping out in the flat and stuff like that. Like they spent a lot of time working together. To me, that, and again to Ryan as well, was saying, you know, that's kind of a, a noteworthy piece of information that Andrew Beck is a guy that they want to continue to keep working with specifically Russell Wilson on how he's lining up on how he's getting to certain spots in his routes and certain times within the footwork and stuff like that. To me, it's, that that's kind of noteworthy because Andrew Beck is actually a fairly decent quality receiver coming out of the backfield. He can line up in line. He can line up as a fullback. He's a decent blocker. Like there's a lot of hats the guys wear the, the guy wears and he does play on all four core special teams units. And you and I can uh, like argue back and forth on the, the quality of play there. 
but he's still one of those guys that fills out the bottom level of the roster that fills multiple roles for you that can still play at a fairly decent level for you. So that was something that I noticed was, uh, was pretty noteworthy. Yeah. Eric Tomlinson does it all. Right. It's the same thing. And here's the, here's the difference. Here's the thing with Andrew Beck is he costs 1.2 million against salary cap. And this is a situation where they have to start being really aggressive with how they view the cap. You can't, you know, for bottom of the depth chart guys, you can't carry like super big, extensive cap hits. 1.2 1.2 million for Andrew Beck to cut him. You only are then paying 200, 200,000 in dead money. You save a million. Eric Tomlinson, who fills the exact same thing, is like 1.4 million against the salary cap this year, where it's costing you 1 million to cut him. Right. I don't see a place for Andrew Beck on this. The stuff with Russell Wilson working with that practice, yeah, it's noteworthy. I mean, things like that are. How noteworthy? That depends. Was it something that the coaches asked him to ask him to do that? Was it something that, hey, he approached? Russell Wilson and be like, hey, can you work with me a little bit? Um, because both those, I mean, they have, they tell me two different things. Both of them are not necessarily good because both of them tell me if the coaches ask them, they're clearly saying, hey, you need to take some extra time to grow like, and take these steps. You need the extra work to put in. And if right. he's doing it, then he's like, okay, I know that I'm not in a good position. I'm going to take the extra time. And it's not the coaches putting him up to it being like, okay, we want to see what you can do. So it kind of points to that. So it matters it's noteworthy how much depends i just don't see a roster spot for him i want to push back on you uh just just a little bit on this um and and the reason why i want to do this is because obviously you've got uh okuebanom you've got greg dulcich and you've got eric tomlinson who's i don't think i I think that that's going to be the guy that has the blocking tight end um you've you've obviously got melvin gordon you've obviously got javante williams and you're going to get mike boone on there as well do you see the broncos keeping a fourth tight end slash running back hybrid fullback H-back kind of a guy. And if you do, what's the difference between Andrew Beck and Eric Saubert, who, I mean, I like Eric Saubert. I think that I, I like the athleticism there, but the, the blocking isn't as good as Andrew Beck and the, the versatility with, with Beck is more than Saubert. So at least that's yeah, my well, opinion. I mean, or Eric just gonna Saubert, run three and three. I think, I think they keep four tight ends that one of them being the hybrid guy. And the biggest difference is why you go Eric Saubert over, um, Andrew Beck is a few reasons. First of all, Eric Sobert was much better on special teams, significantly better. He's much better on as a blocker as well. I mean, that's not even close. And Eric Sobert, you talk about versatility, but he's not a tight end. He's a fullback listed as a tight end. That's fair. Like he doesn't play in as an inline tight end very often because he can't do it. He showed he can't do it. He showed he can't do it in college, which is why he was basically a fullback coming out. Um, and like. I mean, hopefully Andrew Beck is successful. I mean, he's, but he really is. He's just a big fullback that's only played about 120 snaps the last two years because of that. Versatility is great if you're actually seeing the field. Right. 122 snaps over a full season, your versatility is not such a major contributing factor that it's going to land you on a roster with an all new coaching staff. Hmm. That's, I mean, I understand your arguments there. I, just, just based on what I've been, what I've been hearing. So let, let's digress on that and kind of move forward here. It's, it's interesting to hear your perspective, though. And it, like I said, I just wanted to bring that kind of information forward a little bit, uh, based on what I've been talking with, uh, with Ryan and talking with Ben and stuff like that earlier today. What well, I, I guess not Ben, but uh, talking with Ryan specifically earlier today. Just the, the information that he brought out of Andrew Beck being that guy that they're really kind of focusing on getting work with, uh, with Russell Wilson. Now, 
with that, let's move away from the offensive side of the football because today, guys, we are going to do the exact same thing we did a couple weeks ago. I believe it was right before my wedding. We broke down the offensive roster, the offensive depth chart. And it, it was it was a great conversation talking about, you know, uh, some younger rookie players, so like trying to figure out exactly how this uh, this team's going to kind of shape up. I want to start obviously inside. We're going to work inside, work our way outside defensive line in the trenches. That's obviously the very big uh, the very big takeaway here. Um, so Eric actually has sent to me a, uh, a projected Broncos depth chart. And first things first, obviously, you're going to have uh, Ioma Wazirike, a guy that the Broncos just drafted in the fourth round. Uh, Deshaun Williams, a player that has been around the, the Broncos for a little while. But obviously, DJ Jones, a, a guy that the Broncos went out uh, three years, I believe $30 million. They, they signed DJ Jones to this offseason. Um, they, they, obviously, you're going to get uh, McTelvin Aguim, a guy that's that's coming in, uh, 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 what, two or three years now in, in, in the organization. Uh, but the one big noticeable name that you don't have making this roster as of right now is big nose tackle Mike Purcell, a guy that I really enjoy watching as a as a nose tackle run stuffing defensive tackle. Why do you not have uh, Mike Purcell making the 53-man roster, at least at this this early projection? Well, I mean, it's simple. I mean, versatility, he's just a nose tackle. He's not a guy that's going to move out of that zero one technique. Um, his age and his cost. I mean this is the thing is like you're getting ready to pay Russell Wilson, what five years, 250 million. That's like the, that's the common expectation may not be, you know, reported, but that's the expectation. And here he is sitting at 4.3 million against the, against the salary cap. Well, you can sit here and you can cut him, and you're saving 3.5. That's an additional $3.5 million that you can have against for the cap this year and carry over to next year to help you cover, you know, any potential raise for Russell Wilson. Yeah. I mean, he's been replaced. He doesn't have the versatility that you need with the projected Evero defense. It sucks. Cause I'm a huge fan of Purcell and how good he can be, but I mean, he really fell off a cliff last year and then it just continued to get worse. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I want to kind of elaborate on a point that you just made uh, and Jody jumping in here as well. And Jody, we've gone back and forth multiple different times on uh, other different uh, conversations, uh, Garrett Bowles specifically being one. But he says Mike Purcell can only weigh, play one spot on the defensive line, that zero, that one technique. He's a nose tackle only. The Broncos have a couple of guys here that are up and coming. Obviously, uh, again, we talked about Yomo Wazirike last week at length there for a minute. But then McTelvin Aguim. Another player, is, uh, I believe he's year three now, coming out of yeah. Arkansas, a guy that can play literally everywhere from the zero to the seven technique. Like, he can play all the way out on the edge if you want him to. Ioma Wazirike, a guy can play zero to five if you want to. So from the from head up on the center out to the outside shoulder of the, of the offensive tackle. Like, you've got a couple of guys that you can kind of move around and use as – like athletic chess pieces, especially at like in getting after the passer. And that to me is the big thing here with Mike Purcell is that he's not a guy that you can move all over the defensive line and he's not a pass rusher. He really is a two gap run defender. He has a, a quick first step and he does a really good job penetrating if he's attacking a single gap, but like he uses his length and his upper body strength so well that it's hard for him, for you to, um, Move him off of what he does best. These other two young up-and-coming players that are obviously on cheaper deals that you can line up all over the place, they've got some flaws. Don't get me wrong. I think Ioma Wazirike needs to get uh, more upper body strength. He needs to get and use his length a little bit more. McTelvin Aguim has to figure out just how to play NFL football. 
Mike Purcell, yes, and, and you're absolutely right against the run. Uh, I, I think that Mike Purcell, as as good as he is against the run, there's just not enough multiplicity with his game that you can keep that guy at his cost on this roster. And I agree with you on that. So one of the big things is the Browns. I mean, having having linebackers. I know I joke that linebackers don't matter, but linebackers can help ease the pressure on the defensive line in so many ways. I mean, that's just common football knowledge, basic football knowledge. But against the Cleveland Browns, I mean, they just they let Mike Purcell penetrate and they use it against him. He consistently shot the gap and they just ran to the hole that he vacated. Mm-hmm. They use his momentum against him. And you have to you have to have defensive linemen who are able to hold their own a little bit. And when we watched Mike Purcell try to two gap last year, I think it was I think we saw it a lot more against the Philadelphia Eagles. He was bullied. He was pushed around. He just did not look like the same strong player that he used to be so it's very concerning and mctelvin ajim reason why i want to spe- wanted to specify the run is last year he was the best pa- most efficient pass rusher on the broncos defensive line last year granted it only came very handful of snack or snap or snaps because vic fangio hated the fact that he couldn't defend the run didn't want to get caught with him out on the field which so, is- i mean he's, that's the big thing it's like that's why he's got to improve against run so he can sit there and see the field more and without mike purcell with the issues that Denver had getting after the quarterback last year, I'm willing to take that shot with him with the issues that he has against the run because of what he offers up as a pass rusher. And hopefully your linebackers help ease that up a little bit. And then you still have DJ Jones, who's said there and can two gap much better than Mike Purcell can. And just, and really is effective in this type of defense that they want up front. So it's just in all sense, all essence of it i mean mike purcell has been replaced it's just a matter of time and from what i understand is the only reason why he hasn't been let go so far is because he's still dealing with some injury stuff that's creating some issues with the contract that's fair uh jody jumping in here to uh, another quick question from him uh eric do you see us only playing 2d linemen a lot and i'm gonna kind of jump into jody's head here and clarify this a little bit I think what he's talking about is more um, like even front stuff, two down linemen, two edge defenders. Um, so something like that, uh, like a two eye and a three technique, and then a, a couple of seven techniques, something like that. Do you see, do you see the Broncos kind of moving away from that, that odd front that uh, with the nose tackle, two defensive tackles, and then two edge defenders? Well, I mean, we saw it a lot last year. I mean, Shelby That's Harris good. and Draymond Jones were often just the only two defensive linemen out there with two edges. It's modern NFL. You take out that nose tackle, you spread out your defense a little bit and add an extra defensive back. I think yeah. we, so yeah, I think we will see it a lot. A lot of probably Jones is a three tech and Jones is a four eye. Leaving it leaves you a pretty big gap up the middle, but it's going to put more on the linebackers to sit there and pressure that. And then ease up and the edges off the side, off the edge. So I do think we see it a lot. I think we're going to see a, a little bit more of uh, some some two eye technique. I really do like Yomo Wazarike as a two eye technique. I, for some reason, there's just something that speaks to me there, where him him lining up on the inside shoulder of the guard, attacking the a gap, and and using that quick first step against the center. It, where like you saw it so much with him at Iowa State, where he would get up underneath the center's pads just so quick because that center has to obviously snap the ball and then get his hands back up. Awazarike does a great job of getting inside and underneath that first that first initial punch on the center. I love that fit for him in this defense. I, I think that that might be his best fit. I know that you like him as a four eye, but still, uh, like that man, I, I really like that. McTelvin Aguim, though, with, with his ability to slide, I can all tell you ways. why you don't want him as a two eye so much. Why is that? He has a plays with pad level, and they, he already gives the offensive lineman natural leverage. You play him as a four eye, four eye, 
he doesn't give them that natural leverage leverage as much. He can That's get a away with a, a higher pad level. That's a fair point, and I think that I think the biggest problem with that is uh, with with the pad level. That's that's definitely a, a huge concern. But he doesn't play to his length. He likes to like when when he, he stands straight up and then tries to dip back around. He doesn't initiate with a punch like that. That's a big thing that I saw with him when I was doing the film study on him. Uh, he doesn't initiate with a punch and extend his arms. He doesn't play to that thirty five and a half inch length. Like that that's a big problem, especially if you're going to play in the a gap. Like you got to use that length. You got to use that upper body strength. So I, well, I, I, mean, I see where you're coming from with that. As a four eye, I mean, you still, I mean, he does need to use that length, but he's going to need to use that length a little bit more on the inside as well. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, as a two eye, as a four eye, I mean, you're just allowing him to just burst through and try to shoot the gap and take the inside shoulder. I mean, no different from a two eye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm definitely right there with you. Like we're, we're speaking the same language, different techniques, but it, like the, the same kind of concerns go along with that as well. Um, it, I, I agree with you. I think that there's there's multiple rules for uh, for Ayomo Wazariki, and I think that there's a, a great way for him to see the field early. Um, moving back, actually, let's see. We've got a couple of questions here. Uh, K-Hop, jumping back in here. We're going to talk about some wide receivers really fast. Pivot off the defensive side of the football. Let's say that the Broncos keep six wide receivers in Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Montreal Washington. Who should get that final spot between Kendall Hinton, Tyree Cleveland, or Travis Fulgham? Well, I know that one, um, what's his name? Brandon, Brendan, Brandon, um, one of the undrafted free agent receivers. Um, let me see if I can't find his name real quick. Yeah. Names, names um, escaping me. Brandon. I... Oh, uh, Brandon Johnson out of UCF. Um, he's been getting a lot of hype at the bottom depth chart, but he seems more poised for the practice squad. That final spot. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. I don't think Travis Fulgham's really up for it. Do you want another slot guy? Because KJ Hamlet, Jerry Judy, those and Montreal Washington, those are guys that can work in the slot. Or do you want a special teams gunner more outside Tyree Cleveland? I lean Tyree Cleveland for special teams ability, but who knows? Like it's completely up in the up in the air. I'm not even I'm not even 100 on the fact that Montreal Washington makes this roster just yet. Not until we see him in the in preseason, because I mean. OTAs and minicamps, I know he was looking nice, but I mean, it's a situation where his type of player, they should shine with the limited contact. And then Seth Williams, I think that Seth Williams should also be part of that group. Honestly, I think Jalen Virgil, the undrafted rookie free agent out of Appalachian State, should be in the conversation there because he's got punt return ability, a shifty kind of slot guy that you can put out in in multiple different facets and and use him as a receiver because Montreal Washington, I – as much as I like him, and I can't wait to break him down. That's that's my project this weekend. I'm doing Montreal Washington film piece for the that's going to come up on Monday. So I I can't wait to break him down. But Jalen Virgil, just the the multiplicity that he has, the the ability to stretch the field vertically, the the jitterbug stuff that you can do with him, the punt return ability, the kick return ability, like that's a guy that you really got to watch out for. Kendall Hinton as well. Like let's give a shout out to your boy Kendall Hinton, a guy that um is a Hall of Fame quarterback by the way. If let's pound that to the task. but uh, like. There's some shiftiness to him, his ability to get open. He had a big play against the Dallas Cowboys this last year, a 44-yard reception where he kind of took the top off the defense, and and it, like it, it was it was really cool to see him. Montreal Washington, I don't think is a lock to make this roster. I want to go back and double dive on his tape really fast before I really make a true statement on that, but I don't think that that's the guy to watch out for. I do think Fulgham though has a potential opportunity to to jump in on this roster because he's got special teams ability. He was the number one wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles for. 
about six weeks back in 2019. Like he's got game ability. Like there's, there's, there's at least something to have in another veteran wide receiver that knows how to play all over the formation and has special teams ability. So Fulgham is another guy to kind of keep your eye out for. So tell me you realize how hilarious it is that, oh, he was a number one receiver for like six weeks, three years ago. Oh, I know. I the know. NFL, what have you, is a, what have you done for me now? Like, I, I mean, there's a reason why he's bounced around. Like basically he seems like he was a flash in the pan. I, I'm not going to disagree with that, but there's, <laughs> there is something to add to another veteran in the room. I get that, what you're that, saying. Like it was just, that, it was just funny that for six weeks, three years ago, Oh yeah, like that. That, I'm, I'm speaking to my inner fantasy football <laughs> fandom because like that that was really the the big thing there was like everyone was jumping on Travis Fulgham to like go and get that guy and then he just disappeared. It, it's been a while since we've heard his name, but if you're if you have a guy that has a lot of experience like that playing in the league has been around for a while has special teams versatility and you can actually trust this guy to go out there and work with a veteran quarterback. Are you going to go with a, an unproven player like a Kendall Hinton who still has a long ways to go as he transitions from the wide receiver or it transitions to the wide receiver position from quarterback? Uh, Tyree Cleveland, who has injury concerns, Jalen Virgil, who's an undrafted free agent, and for a reason because he's not the, the biggest guy, like like he's got a thin, uh, thinner frame. Like there's a reason why Fulgham is a guy that you kind of need to keep your eye on, and that's why because he at least is a veteran that's been around the block a time or two. Yeah, but he was with Miami, and Miami even cut him. So one thing that one thing that I take note of, and this is at any point of the season, final roster cuts or whatever, doesn't matter when. If a team is weak at a certain position and they cut a player, that's typically not good news about that player. Right. Miami was really weak at wide receiver when they let him go. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. That's noteworthy. That's something that I take note of when it comes to where he's at as a player now. Well, what's the what was the cost though? I mean, without going through all the the, the I think it was a minimum like deal. Okay, well then maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. God damn it, that's never that's never uh, like that that's par for the course for DVD. Anyways, all right, guys, back to the defensive side of the football. Let's go back into the uh, um, the off ball linebackers here. 
this is a fun conversation. We kind of talked about Alex Singleton just a little bit. Josie Jewell in there as well. Baron Browning uh, is a, is another player that we're going to see playing kind of both that that hybrid will weak side linebacker rushing off the edge a little bit, playing in some coverage and stuff like that. But a guy that I don't think is getting nearly the amount of love that he definitely deserves is Jonas Griffith. Man, I I really was impressed with him going against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, going against the Las, uh, Las Vegas Raiders, uh, going against the Chargers like down the stretch. Even um, even going against the Bengals, I thought he had a really good game against the Bengals. That's a player that the Broncos are really going to rely on, and apparently he looks really good out at OTAs. Is there anybody on this roster outside of those guys that could potentially like unseat like an Alex Singleton or like J- Josie Jewell is going to be around? Like, there's no question about that. Is, is there another player on the Broncos depth chart as of right now that could potentially? steal a spot like Justin Sternod maybe like like no. is there is there is there a fifth linebacker you could see I don't think they keep four linebackers wow okay I mean I'm counting Baron Browning as an edge I mean he still has the okay. ability to drop back to it and so I see three other I see three linebackers Josie Jewell Alex Singleton for special teams and Jonas Griffith who might be the starter he's been getting a lot of praise and one thing with linebackers I mean I said not too long ago about taking OTA and mini camp practices with the little with a grain of salt with linebacker is um, is one position where you can actually get a good idea of how much they're, in the case of Jonas Griffin, how much he's grown as a player with how he's seeing things, how he's reacting, the instincts. Those are things that you can see, even without the physicality aspect of it, which when things do get physical, you want to see if it continues and if he actually improves even more. Um, so you can get a good idea where he's at. And everything is saying that he's impressive. I talked to a few guys who are saying he is very clearly the best linebacker out there of the bunch, mm-hmm. um, which is high praise for because they're talking about how Josie Jewell looks even better than he did the first four weeks of last year before he got hurt. A lot of praise for these linebacker rooms. And Jody, with he is why AJ Johnson and Kenny Young were not brought back. He's a large reason for it, yeah. Um, another reason was AJ Johnson, I mean, outside of their own issues as players. I mean, they didn't have as much versatility as some of these other guys. They were very limited in certain areas as these other guys. So it's just multiple aspects for it. But Jonas Griffith's development is a big reason for it. Yeah, and another point here from Jody, is he had 40 tackles in the last four games last season, and you don't get 40 tackles. That's 10 tackles a game, you guys. Like, that's that's a lot. You don't get 10 tackles a game by putting yourself in bad positions. And that's something that you saw with Jonas Griffiths was his ability to kind of like read and diagnose and put himself in the right positions to go and make those plays. He's not a sea ball chase ball kind of a linebacker. Like he does a really good job of getting him around, getting himself around the football, just with his football IQ and his understanding. The athleticism is there as well. Like I really want to see his, his ability to, to turn and run in coverage, like really develop this season because he did a really good job at the end of last season. Like, and as Eric said, it wouldn't surprise me to see Jonas Griffith be the best linebacker, the guy that doesn't come off the field, even when the Broncos go dime. Like you're going to have obviously dime dime packages, six defensive backs. You're going to keep one linebacker on the field. Jonas Griffith might actually be that guy over Baron Browning, who everyone's pounding the table. Like Baron Browning is going to be that off ball linebacker. No, I, he's, he's not going to be that guy. Jonas Griffith is the one to really kind of watch out for here. Yeah, and one thing too is like one thing I look about. I mean, total tackle or total tackles is great. Um, I like looking at solo tackles, and I mean, most of Jonas Griffith's tackles were solo tackles. Yeah, it wasn't a, a thing. Of, it wasn't a thing of where he was arriving to help somebody finish a tackle. He was getting his tackles himself. Mm-hmm. And with coverage, I mean, I don't think that he is one that you have to pull off the thing because when he was out there on the field in coverage, he did a great job. 
And the best part about it is that he limited what happened after the catch. He allowed a lot of catches. I mean, linebackers often do, especially with how he was used. A lot of short, shallow stuff that you got to come up and make the play. And he did. And he kept big plays from happening off of that. Something that was issues with some other linebackers Denver has had over the previous few seasons. Um, so he's he's a guy that if he grows and he develops, he can be a linebacker that does. you don't have to take off the field outside of giving him a breather every now and then. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right on that. And a big thing that goes into it is great and astute point here. Just the usage of the linebackers, like fall back, keep everything in front of you and go make a play in open space. And Jonas Griffith does a great job of that. Like he's a, a supremely good tackler out in open space. That was something I really liked about him specifically against the chargers. Like I, I really liked his ability to go out uh, and make plays out in the flats and stuff like that. Um, and also again, against the, against the chiefs last year at the, at the end of the season. So that that's something to really keep your eye on. Got a great question here from Trevor Sandell. Uh, he says, Lance and Eric, I want to get your guys' opinion uh, or thoughts on the biggest differences you guys have seen in OTAs from quarterbacks of the past, like Locke and Bridgewater, compared to Russ this year. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. And thank you, Trevor, for supporting the show. We appreciate you for joining us. Now, I'm going to jump in here. And obviously, the biggest takeaway that you have to you have to have the biggest difference you're going to see is you have that quarterback. You actually have a guy. This isn't a competition. We love, like I said, we love to talk about the quarterback competition, stuff like that. You know who the guy is. He's out there dictating everything from snap to snap, helping to orchestrate this offense, even behind uh, the scenes in the meeting rooms. Like this is a one of one offense, according to Tim Patrick. Like this has never been installed. This is the first time this offense is going to be installed. Russell Wilson is a big part of that. OTAs last year. Even even before training camp, there was always, well, Locke did this or Bridgewater did that. Like, there was always that kind of conversation. That's the biggest difference, and I don't think that's debatable. I mean, for me, it's the, it's the leadership aspect of it. I mean, the focus. Yeah. The offense, they don't have to sit there and worry about, okay, what quarterback are, do we have in this time? And sit there and the little adjustments that you have to make. Because you do have to adjust, make little adjustments as a receiver, depending on what quarterback's out there. They don't have to from rep to rep or from series to series anymore for this thing. And so there's a lot more just focus on the improvements and working out the kinks and everything instead of their own changes that they make for it. So it's this trickle-down effect of being able to help out these other positions before because you don't have this quarterback battle, and that just seems to be one of them. And then outside of that, the other differences I see is this the difference of the coaching staff. Doesn't seem to be as, like, nose-to-the-ground, like, constantly driving for it seems to be a little bit more loose a little bit more relaxed which just from my point of view with it typically tends to play out better as the season goes on having that more relaxed aspect of it uh, of practices i want to jump back onto another point that you had uh there is an adjustment for every receiver when you have a quarterback competition like that where you have locks throwing the football as compared to teddy bridgewater or as compared to russell wilson the well okay changes. well the biggest one is Real quick, the biggest adjustment is that you have to prepare for Teddy Bridgewater to have the ball get thrown to you about five yards deep and be on target, or with Locke where you're 20 yards deep and the ball thrown 15 yards over your head. <laughs> yes! I love it. Thank you for that. However, I, I like there's there's a more nuanced part of that I want to get it to. Uh, <laughs> say you're running a, a quick slant. With Teddy Bridgewater, you know the ball is going to be right here, right on your chest plate, on time. You're You know you're going to get there. Drew Locke, it might be a little bit like it's going to be faster. It's going to be a lot harder. Like, you you know the ball is going to be there. 
but it's coming about 15 miles an hour quicker because Teddy Bridgewater has a weaker arm. Like, like that is just plain and simple. Drew Locke fires the football in there. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't. So that was a big adjustment. Like there's timing aspects to everything. That one half a step where you get your head turned and you get the the football put right on your, on your hands. And Gary, thank you for jumping in here. We appreciate you for, for showing us some love, nothing to say, but just saying hi. But and thank you, Gary, for that. But like one half a step, getting your head turned around might be the difference between you getting hit in the face mask and getting hit in the hands. Like, because you don't, you don't, you just don't know that velocity matters. Timing matters. Everything from footwork to the quarterback footwork to the wide receiver, like everything changes from quarterback to quarterback, from receiver to receiver. Having that solid quarterback that knows that, like this is the timing. This is how I'm going to step. So I'm going to throw the ball. You're going to you're going to catch this slant route consistently every single time. This exact same way. That is a, a more nuanced understanding than just it's Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew Locke. Like those guys throw the ball completely differently. You got one consistent every single time. Every single throw is going to be the exact same way at the exact same time at the exact same spot. You turn your head, you get the ball right here every single time. Yeah, that's the non-joking answer. <laughs> um, so there was actually there was actually a comment earlier that I that I saw that I was kind of curious about. So Natani Moody, he's been getting out a lot of hype. Yes. How much stock? How much yeah. stock are you putting into him possibly being the left guard? Not much. Um, I, Good. I I think that there's some conversations going on behind the scenes, um, and there's some information getting put out in ways that uh, are not necessarily misleading, but also a little bit misleading. Uh, like, I, I hope that makes sense. Like the, the, there's information getting leaked out here that is uh, to, to try to drum up a market for somebody. I'm not sure if it's Moody. I'm not sure if it's Dalton Reisner. I'm not sure if it's Quinn Miners. I'm not sure if it's Graham Glasgow. One of those four guys is not making this roster. I think it's Moody just because I don't see the athleticism there. But every around every corner, you've got a coach of some kind, whether it's Nathaniel Hackett, Justin Alton, uh, George Payton, who's singing the praises, Russell Wilson singing the praises of Natani Moody, of uh, Lloyd Cushenberry even. Somebody singing the praises of one of those bottom level of the roster guys at the interior offensive line position, and Moody seems to be the guy that continues to get the hype. I think that that's the guy you got to watch out for as the potential trade piece. And I'm going to put this out there way early. Obviously we're, we're like what, three weeks, uh, a month away from training camp. That's the guy to watch out for. Natani Moody. They don't, you don't continue to sing the praises of a guy that doesn't fit your scheme like that without intentions of doing something with him. If he does win the spot, by all means, congratulations to him. Good job, sir. And great for you. I just don't see that. I, I think he's on his way out the door. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that he's on his way out the door. I mean, there's definitely a spot for him. Ten offensive linemen, he can be that tenth guy. Well, really, ninth or eighth, eighth or ninth guy. But, I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at this, this battle at left guard. And Dalton Reisner, from everything I have heard, has been clearly the top guy at left guard. Like, clearly. Like, that there, that despite how good Natani Moody has looked, there is still a pretty sizable gap between him and Dalton Reisner. So this talk of him, maybe he does come through and win it. But I mean, through OTAs and minicamp, I'm not, I don't see the point of declaring a winner at any camp battle spot because just what you can do is so limited. Training camp, you get padded practices, you get more on there, you get more hands on, like there's more to it. Um, so I don't see it. And I think that if anybody's going to take over the left guard spot, I'm looking at Tom Compton for it. I was just over about to ask you that. Moody. I, 
Yeah, I was just about um, to ask you that. Sorry to cut you off. I was just about to ask you that about where Tom Compton comes in. And I mean, from when he was signed, I mean, the big thing that was going on, and it was reported that he's going to compete at right tackle, but he's going to compete more than that. He's going to compete at both guard spots as well. So, I mean, if anybody takes over at left guard, it's that. I think I'm. I think that'll be. I think by the time the season comes, it'll be Dalton Reisner. Um, if somebody gets moved around, I wouldn't be surprised if it is Natani Moody. Um, but I could also see him stay. Like, I don't think it's a situation where I don't think that there is no way in this world where not all four of Reisner, Miners, Glasgow, and Moody don't make it. Like, we're only three of them four. I think there is a real reality where all four of them make it because with the issues that Denver has had on the offensive line um, over the years, especially on the interior, having that those options is great. Dalton Reisner is a free agent after this year. Maybe you can sit there and work on Moody and develop him to be the starter after this year. Graham Glasgow, I think are keeping to help as, you know, veteran insurance for Quinn Miners and at the center position with Reisner and Miners, your starter. So I, I think there's, an, there's definitely a way that all four of those guys make it. Yeah. I want to jump into this question here, Eric with the CK Wait, by the way. So I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get tip my hat, man. I don't see many other Eric's with the CK out there. Hats off to you. That's the correct and only way to spell Eric. Yes. I, I, I had to grab that specifically because of that. However, he has a great question here. What about moving Lloyd Cushenberry via trade? Uh, Scott and I, so after Eric, you, uh, you had your scare a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, Scott and I came back and we were, we were talking to, uh, uh, talking with each other about Lloyd Cushenberry and the, the potential of him, um, uh, being that trade target, the guy that doesn't make the roster. I want your thoughts on this. And I, I might've gotten you to this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I, I want you to kind of rehash this out here. As of right now, there are two players on this roster that have experience playing the center position. One of them is Lloyd Cushenberry. The other is Graham Glasgow, who is coming off of an injury, hasn't seen a whole lot of time in OTAs. It's going to be training camp here soon, so we're going to figure this out. But is Lloyd Cushenberry really an option to trade right now? you got Luke Wattenberg, who has not played the center position in the NFL. A great athlete, fits the scheme well, but there's a lot of issues with him as far as play strength, is uh uh, what his footwork, his hand placement, stuff like that. He's also a rookie. Is Kush really a guy that you're looking at to like move it as a trade piece right now? Um, I mean, it depends. If he goes in and he's much the same as he has been the last few years, yeah, I still look at moving him. I still look at trying to recoup some of that value that you have in him. Because yeah. after the season, if he doesn't improve, I don't think he can. However, I completely get the point that if he doesn't win the starting job, that you keep him as a backup just because of insurance. But at that point, I mean, I'd rather just sit there and focus on Luke Wattenberg, honestly. And I think it would make more sense for the coaching staff to stick with their guy over Cushenberry. So let me get this straight. You're 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 saying uh, like Cushenberry could be on the way out, Glasgow being the starting center, maybe Miners. I don't. And, I, I doubt Miners at this point. So, so glass, Glasgow being the guy that, and that makes sense. Uh, like he, his best tape was actually at center in, in Detroit. Like that's really the, the, and, best play, the place, the best place he played. I liked him at right guard there because he showed some really nifty footwork there uh, as, as a pass protector. He showed some nifty footwork here in Denver as well as a pass protector. The biggest thing that I saw with him was his ability to, it, it's called a hop hop. So engage, get kind of drop back, hop, hop, re-engage and then drive. 
He does that very well at the right guard position. I like Graham Glasgow there. I don't necessarily know that I want to move him back to that to that center spot um, and then really kind of trust Quinn Miners to be that right guard all the time. Like, you, you've got to have a, a couple of different guys here. Well, that opens and Natani up. Moody, Natani Moody is, the, is, the, is the big question here. Like, where does he, yeah. where does he fit in here? Like, he can play the right or the left side, but he's not a scheme fit. So I, I think Lloyd Cushenberry, despite the limitations he has as far as his play strength and pass protection, I think this offensive scheme is in the running game fits him very well. He's a fairly decent athlete. He moves pretty well. You don't want a guy lining. Yeah, I, I think he moves pretty well. Oh, his I, lateral I, agility is absolutely crap. I, no, I forward forward stuff. His ability to move forward and get to the next level and, yeah. and go and attack somebody. I think that that would actually fit with him. His lateral agility, is, there's definitely a problem there. I, I can see that. Which but in the heavy outside zone scheme, you got to have have that lateral agility. But I just want real quick. I want to be clear: is I think Cushenberry is the starter come season time. I, I want to be very clear with that. He is the guy. I said it a couple weeks ago when we talked about it. I think Cushenberry is the starter at it. It's just a situation of if he doesn't show this tremendous improvement at center position and Glasgow wins it, then at that point I'd be like, all right, go on. We're just going to focus on Luke Wattenberg. And financial does as play the financial aspect does play a part into it as well. Right. Uh, Eric jumping back in here. Eric Weber, that is. Uh, mile high salute to Broncos country. And yes, on the correct version of Eric with a CK. We have to throw that in there every single time. <laughs> All right. Uh, only got a couple minutes left. I want to j- uh, jump back to the, this defensive depth chart. Let's talk about cornerbacks in the secondary here. We haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, there's been widespread reports here lately, guys, about a guy that I talked about as a, a potential player that could lose his job to up-and-coming rookies um, like a Fayon Hicks or even like an Isang Bassey, uh, Damari Mathis as well. Michael Ojemudia, guys. Like, this kid has been absolutely spectacular. Out there with, with Pat Sertan, out there with Ronald Darby, it doesn't necessarily matter. Michael Ojemudia out on the boundary. They've even slid him, slid him inside to uh, in some nickel situations as well. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. He is on a mission, man. And that after that last game, and we all know he had what I think it was like eleven tackles against Kansas City, three passes broken up. He's come back from that nagging hamstring injury, and he looks so good. Is there any way that he is not the fourth cornerback, let alone the fifth, like that bottom level roster guy? Is he the fourth cornerback, a guy that could potentially see the field for this defense as a as a rotational player? like throughout the game, not just a special teams guy. Like like, there's, there's an opportunity for him to play as a rotational boundary defender. Well, I always thought you were smoking something whenever you start talking about Ojemudia losing his job. I mean, he's always been poised to make this roster. It's just a matter of where, um, 
but everything seems i mean he had a couple rough reps against Cortland sutton with russell wilson where he got beat by some great throws like it hasn't been all sun sunshine and rainbows for ojimudi but he's been looking really good and he seems set to be the number four corner with damari mathis as the number five yeah the the big reason why I was always questioning about Ojemudia is you're, you're talking regime change. You you brought in Kwan Williams. You've got Ronald Darby. You you bring in Damari Mathis as well. Uh, a lower level of the roster guy that could potentially slide inside um, and, and play that slot defender. Another guy like an Essang Bassi, a, a Fayon as well. Yes, I I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you on that one. But it's something that we haven't seen from Michael Ojemudia. He is a lengthy boundary cornerback that tackles really well. Baseline which is what, which is what Denver still needed. I mean, it, they didn't need somebody just on the inside because even before that, they had plenty of options for the slot. It was they were lacking that great one until they brought in Quan Williams. Right, they were lacking depth on the outside, and I mean, even going back to the rookie year where it was a scheme, where the coverage scheme was more similar to what Denver expected to be running this year than what they did last year. Ojemudia played really good football for the most part as a rookie. There was a couple plays that he had a bad time at against Pittsburgh. There was the bad Atlanta Falcons game. Yep. But he had some really good reps. He showed his ability on the outside. So, yeah, I was always baffled whenever he started talking about him potentially losing his job because he seemed very clear to me as that number three, number four boundary corner option. That That was the sticking point with me, though. Was it was the boundary only because he doesn't play very well in the slot. And now that he's shown the ability to do that, Ronald Darby, at least with, with all the health concerns and, and stuff like that, he still has the ability to slide back down inside of the nickel and play very well with those fluid hips that he has and turn and run ability. Michael Ojemudi is that is just a straight up boundary cornerback. He doesn't play inside. You still need those. Uh, yes, I understand that. <laughs> but when you have another, uh, you have Pat Sertan, who's obviously a starter. He's going to be a top five cornerback in the league this year, by the way. That's not a hot take. That's actual fact. Uh, you have Ronald Darby, who plays on the boundary. You have, you have Damari Mathis, another guy that plays on the boundary specifically. You got now Michael Ojemudi. That's a fourth boundary cornerback. Where's the depth in the slot? Like, that's, that's uh, like Damari Mathis. Do you know, the slot. Okay. Do you know who the leading slot rece- slot corner was for the Rams last year? Was it Jalen Ramsey? I swear to it God. Was it was Jalen Ramsey. So, I mean, just because we saw Patrick Sertan be out there on the edge so much last year. Right. I mean, he can play in the slot. It's going to depend on matchups. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the fact that you have Ronald Darby and his injury history. Right. And then you're talking about not wanting to keep a boundary-only corner. You're not moving Ronald Darby to the slot often. I mean, in a situation right. where you have to move, have somebody in the slot, you don't have to move Michael Ujimudia because you have a guy who can be that boundary-only option that you can do that. You have Damari Mathis who can play the slot as well like, right. and play the boundary. So again, it was this thing of, I don't get why you were so um, hold up on the fact that he was a boundary only corner when you still need that. I mean, cornerback is one position where you don't have to have extreme versatility to play multiple spots in the secondary. You can be a boundary only corner and you can get away with that in the NFL still in the, the modern age. The more you can do, obviously the better, but, I mean, when you look at the other guys that were competing for his spot, I mean, it's a who's who of garbage, really. Asang Bossy, he's a slot-only corner, but yep. you thought that, but you had him competing for Ojemudia for that potential spot. Um, so why why was that a holdup for you that Ojemudia was a slot-only option? But then you mentioned Bassey as an option to beat him out when he's a slot-only option, and he's a terrible one. I guess it's the, the multiplicity 
um the multiplicity of it the the ability to um the, the versatility like you know me that that's one of the big things i look at especially with my with my secondary players how many different positions can you play bassy is probably a guy that doesn't necessarily fit on the outside but he can play the slot you have you need to have that depth player that can play in the slot ojamudi you've, you've got a, a handful of guys that can play on the outside even with Kwan williams who plays pretty well on the outside as well like you've got some guys that can play on the outside I want another slot guy, another primarily slot guy. And to me, that I would take the primary slot guy of a Sengbasi over the primary boundary guy of, uh, of a Michael Ojemudia until we got into this the, the more information of stuff like that. So you take you You've take already, a penny over a ten dollar bill. I don't know that I don't know that Michael Ojemudia is a ten dollar bill. He might be a dollar, but he's a dollar on. You the still outside. take a dollar? Okay, you still take a penny over a dollar because the Sengbasi is a penny. Yeah, At least yeah, Michael Ojemudia is bringing you a good gunner on special teams as well. As long as he offers nothing. That's, a, that's the best point you made. That's the best point. Everything you made right I made was a good point. Oh, it, you you make lots of good points, but that's the best point you made. I'm not going to back down on this one. I like Michael Ojemudia. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I I'll, I'll never say that about anybody in the NFL. But at the same time, like there's there's some limitations and what you have with the, within the roster itself, the roster construction that I like, I want to have some more versatility. And saying Bassey, yes, he's a he's a bad special teams player, and you have me on that one. You can't you can't disagree with that. Regardless, you you have to have some depth in the slot. You have to in in today's NFL, unless you're you bring it like you also have Kareem Jackson, and I will I will slam the table for Kareem Jackson playing the slot cornerback. I love that. I love it there. But Michael so, Jimmy, you, you... <laughs> having uh, more options for the slot. Well, look, you have Caden Stearns, you have Kareem Jackson, you have safeties, you mm -hmm. can move Ronald Darby, you can move Patrick Sertan, you have Quan Williams. So again, the boundary option, who's the better player, not taking away special teams, because like that's the focus here is on defense. It still doesn't make sense to go with the slot only option when you have more options for the slot than the boundary guy when you don't have more options for the boundary yeah. it, it was, <laughs> you got me you, you got me backed into a corner here and you you make a lot of astute points i think that i have a, a fairly decent point in this conversation though where where you i get what i get what you're saying depth at, depth at nickel is great like depth in the that, slot that's is, the biggest and thing you do I, need, I want, and you do need I, to have it but it's just a matter of fact that you have a lot more options to fill out the depth of the safety position than you do the boundary corner. Right. And that's, and that's a fair point. It, it, it was always more of a, a conversation of you saw Michael Ojemuda struggle. Then he had the injury and he had another injury riddle season. We're coming back into year three right now. Um, it, like he's got a long ways to go to develop. And apparently he has taken that next step. And I'm so proud of Michael Ojemuda and I, I, I want to see him succeed there was just that question of you've, you've got four guys that can play on the boundary. You need another guy that can play in the slot. Ojemudia doesn't pro project as that unless you're playing him as like a super off the ball, like safety driving down because he's not a turn and run guy. He doesn't have the quick twitch athleticism that you want. That was the biggest thing. At least the saying Bassey, he might be slow, but at least he has a quick twitch ability to turn and run. Ojemudia doesn't have that. But it doesn't matter because by the time he does it, I mean, what game was it? I mean, there was one game where the team just constantly beat Asang Bossy with quick slant. Oh, it was Atlanta. It was Atlanta. Like, and Michael Ojemudia got destroyed in that game, too. Well, yeah, he did. And But the thing is, is like you're talking about what you want from a slot receiver, and that's not Asang Bossy. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
it's still a fun conversation, and I'm I'm glad that we actually got to yell at each other a little bit and have some have some points and counterpoints. <laughs> uh, Andrew Baker jumping in here. What's up, fam and Valley boys? What's up, Andrew? How we doing? Uh, a lot of optimism all around, but where are our concerns other than right tackle and all the newsomes? Hashtag Mile High Huddle for life. Um, Apparently, again, slot, Andrew, depth at slot corner for Lance. Yes, I I, <laughs> I do actually have that concern. Depth at slot corner is one. Uh, tight end is the other one. Uh, like tight end is, is is a concern to me. Um, I I at the beginning of the show I, I plugged this. Andrew, go go and check it out. I, I did an interview with Ryan Edwards on Broncos Country tonight earlier today. Um, it's on my Twitter account. Uh, I I also posted it on my Facebook. If you're friends with me on Facebook, go check that out. Tight end is is, is a problem. Um, you've got Alberto who has had the injury concerns. He hasn't developed quite the way that you want him to. Greg Dulcich is a new guy. I like him a lot. I think that he can win the starter position at the tight end position. Um. And then you got Eric Tomlinson, who is limited as like a, a blocker kind of only. Not like that's rough to say, but it, like he's not the greatest pass catcher. He has like five career receptions. That's a problem to me. Like the, the, the tight end position is a concern. It's not a, a major concern because Russell Wilson doesn't necessarily use the tight end position like that. But I think in this offense where you're going to get a lot of the crossing routes coming off the backside of the boot action or drag routes or uh, stretching the seam vertically. I think that you do need to have that tight end that, that, that has the ability to do that. Dulcich and Albert O do have that ability. So I, I think it's going to be okay, but I miss Noah Fant. I will say that. Ooh. Ooh. I, I, I'll say that Ooh. loud and proud. I miss Noah Fant. I, I, only thing I'll push back on there. I don't disagree. Tight end is a little bit of a concern for me. Only thing I'll push back on when you talk about Eric Tomlinson, just because somebody hasn't been asked to do it doesn't mean they can't do it. When no, Eric Tomlinson no. has been asked to be a receiver, he's fine. He's just not this great athlete that you look to manufacture catches for. Right. He's that safe. Yeah, Eric Sauber's the same way. Not a, yeah. not a great athlete you manufacture catches for, but when he does have the opportunity to do it, he does a very good job. I was impressed with Eric Sauber last year. Yeah. And, I mean, Eric Tomlinson, I mean, he very much he was very much brought in to be the blocking tight end. So I'm not disagreeing with there. It was just kind of pushing back on that center position. Uh, I'm not yeah. expecting it from Lloyd Cushenberry. I'm not. Um, we saw him barely improve last year um, in a scheme that last year was so muddied of a scheme. And when he was asked to do what Denver's going to be doing a lot more this year, he was far worse. His pass protection has been bad going back to his senior year in college, and he hasn't shown technical improvements there. And then your option is Graham Glasgow, who I, I'm with you. I'd actually rather keep him as a right guard, as a depth piece there. And Luke Wattenberg, like it's one reason why I wanted Denver to go out and get an actual a, a center earlier than they did. Granted, guys are looking at what didn't fall to where they wanted him, but right, it's center position. Like I think that I'm more concerned about center than I am right tackle. I am as well. I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. I think Billy Turner can step in and play a very good right tackle spot. I think Tom Compton can play a, a very competent right tackle spot, especially in the scheme. He showed the ability to do it in San Francisco last year. So I. I I think right tackle is actually a position we don't necessarily need to focus on. It's, it's going to be a conversation for sure. Right tackle is a concern beyond this year. Yes, 100%. 100% with you on that one. All right, guys. We are now at an hour and six minutes. That last 10 minutes of this conversation went wildly crazy and super fast. Uh, we're going to have to get out of here, though. I, I want to quickly, though, safety position is pretty well locked up. Um, you've got Justin Simmons. You've got Kareem Jackson. You've got Caden Stearns. The fourth guy, 
Is it Jamar Johnson? Is it De- a Delarian Turner yell? Is it PJ Locke, Eric? I think it's PJ Locke and Delarian Turner yell. I don't disagree with you on that one. I actually, I think I, Jamar I, Johnson, his inability on special teams is what's going to kiss him his butt goodbye from the roster. I, I think he's going to get cut and released entirely. I like, I don't think he even makes the practice squad. I think he's yep. just done. I, I, I really do. I think, yep. and I love Jamar Johnson. Eric, I know you love Jamar Johnson as well. His ability to play that, that, uh, that single high role, he could play single high. He could play really well in the, in uh, two high role as well. Uh, very rangy. That guy always lacked physicality. And mm-hmm. at the NFL level, you have to have physicality. And he just has not shown it. At least PJ Locke, who came at you, Eric. I, I know I've seen the text messages. I've saw the, the, the direct messages of uh, PJ Locke coming at you after uh, your uh, – I don't think he's going to make the roster. I, I, I'm rooting for him too. I, I'm right. I there. hope Go he ahead. continues to prove my initial opinion on him wrong. Like yeah. all yeah. more power to you, dude. Yep. It, it was actually pretty funny. It, it, and the message went something along the lines of, I, I saw your review of me. I saw your opinions of me. Uh, and I used that as motivation to help get me to the roster. It was late. Was that not last year or the year before? It was last year. It was last it was, year. Okay. It, it was just after the initial, the 53 man roster was announced. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, it, like he, he came back and he's like, you know, I, I saw your opinions on me and I use that as motivation to help get me where I'm at. And thank you for everything you've done for me. Eric trickle was the guy that helped make PJ. And then he blocked me. And then he did. He did block him too. Don't call me. Then he blocked me. All right. With that guys, uh, we're going to have to get out of here. Um, thank you all so much for joining us on Dove Valley Deep Divers. We didn't get a chance to say hello to everybody in the chat. Um, we'll, we'll get back to everybody uh, next week and and try to get a little bit more um, creative with the incorporating chat and stuff like that. But you guys can find us on Twitter by following me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also for Scott at Scout Kennedy. Um, guys, at Mile High Huddle while you're at it. That's the mother account where you guys can find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos, including film breakdowns like my uh, – Greg Dulce's piece that dropped on Monday. I've got, like I said, Montreal, Washington coming over this, uh, the course of the weekend. Um, you've got all of the, the the roster breakdown. Eric's doing a literally player-by-player player breakdown, how they fit with everybody on the roster starting from 99. Where are you at now, Eric? I think the last one I saw was Miners, actually. I'm coming up tomorrow will be number 75, Quinn Bailey. So Quinn Bailey, yep. Yeah, I was going to say Quinn Miners was the last one I saw. So make sure you guys check that out. Check out his roster breakdown, what he thinks about uh, each and every player on this Broncos 90-man roster going into training camp, how they uh, incorporate themselves, and if they have a chance to make a uh, roster spot going into this 2022 season. Uh, folks, if you guys are financially able to do so, it's great to have Super Chats. It's great to have stars and stuff like that. HuddleUpPod.com, that's where you guys can get some merchandise. There's brand-new hats, brand-new T-shirts, onesies for your babies there's teddy bears like anything to suit your fancy huddleuppod.com is a great way to help support the show and stuff like that which we had dvdd stuff i'm gonna have to get after chat on that because dvdd stuff uh made a random disappearance not necessarily appreciative of that but regardless uh facebook supporters facebook.com slash mile high huddle pod uh go over there and, and like ingratiate yourself with everybody in the mile high huddle community. It's a great way to uh, join yourselves in the conversation. We really appreciate all of your guys insights and input and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun to, uh, to have some conversations with you guys on Facebook and stuff like that. And guys, if you're not um, willing to do anything like that, uh, Facebook, whatever, uh, not willing to go super chat, superstars, huddleuppod.com, anything like that. doesn't matter. Three things, subscribe, wherever you guys are watching this, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, um, Apple podcasts, any way you guys can subscribe to Mile High Huddle, please do so. It helps us a lot. 
like every video that you guys see as well, because that helps us incredibly. And if you love it, share it because without your guys' support, getting as many, uh, as many views on this stuff as possible, we couldn't do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now with that, Eric, before we get out of here, man, it's been really fun, really fun to go back and forth with you. We had a, a pretty good argument there. Any last words before we get out of here today? No, just enjoy your guys' weekend. Hopefully it's a nice weekend where you're at. It's absolutely, well, it was absolutely beautiful here. Now it's kind of turning crummy. Um, enjoy your weekends and, yeah, get ready, get excited. I mean, we're not that far away. Every day we get closer to the regular season. That's very true. It's like 98 days, I think, is what it is. But, however, it's two days until Father's Day. Guys, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to you, Eric. Happy Father's Day to you, Scott. Um, everybody else, Chad. Carl, uh, not Nick, because Nick sucks and he's not a father yet, but uh, we'll get out of that. He's got his, he's we'll got his fur children. Yeah, he does have fur babies. He does have fur babies, Queso and, uh, and Summit. But uh, happy Father's Day to everybody out there in Broncos country. Again, we love and appreciate all of your guys' support. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and take care. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. And as always, go Broncos and go Abs. Go Abs, go. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.